more clients, educational classes, price increases. These are all the things we used to think could make us successful beauty bosses. Hey there, my name is Teresa Young and I'm obsessed with helping beauty professionals discover modern ways to make more money and work less hours by opening up your world to modern, innovative ways to create passive incomes using your very own expertise and talents. It's time to change the way we look at making money and discover how owning digital assets and creating passive incomes that make you money while you sleep are the new modern way to elevate your business and create the business you are so deserving of. You guys with me? Come on then, let's create a life you love while having a little extra time for yourself. Here we go. Well, today we're so excited to have with us Cheryl Fazenden, and I got her name right. Normally I say her last name incorrectly, but today I got it right. And I asked Cheryl to attend the show today so she can explain to you guys a little bit about her journey as she was one of the national marketing um, directors for McDonald's. So I thought it would be very inspiring to have her on the show today and just have a conversation with her in regards to her journey with McDonald's. So Cheryl, why don't you go ahead and share a little bit about your story and how it all began for you and what it was like working for McDonald's. All right. Well, I started out uh, with McDonald's. I got a degree from the University of Minnesota in uh, both food science and in uh, marketing advertising. Now, I had grandiose visions of working for General Mills in Minneapolis or one of the food companies, Cargill, etc. But I also worked retail a lot. And uh, when a position became open with McDonald's, I ran for it. Uh, they were great company to work for. And I started entry level with them, um, working with individual restaurants, helping them market in their trading areas, and then continue to grow uh, into a director level in a region. We called it field marketing, but basically it was the touch base with the restaurants and making sure within the television markets, we were positioning our brand and our promotions uh, to the best of our ability and working very closely with the franchisees. And then I moved up and handled the central part of the country uh, and worked with many, many more areas of the country and then moved into national marketing and had the pleasure of working on in the innovation team where we worked on some menu items. We worked on all, the rollout of all day breakfast, McCafe beverage brand, uh, both at grocery and within our restaurants. So that's it in a quick synopsis. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason I went to McDonald's honestly was kind of funny. Um, not only did I have the food science background and I'd also worked in retail and worked for the University of Minnesota Food Services as their marketing director, but I had an ambition to become a advertising lawyer. And McDonald's offered, oh, wow. <laughs> yes. and McDonald's offered a tremendous benefit with education matching funds. But I tell you, once I got into continuing to work with the franchisees and the restaurants and work on the marketing program and the advertising program, the legal stuff just kind of fell away for me because my passion really became the core of how you build a brand and how you market that brand. So that's why I stayed and continued to grow within the company in the marketing area. Well, I have to say marketing can become very addictive. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's almost like once you start planning, like strategically pl planning to build a brand and stuff starts catching on, you want to do more of it. And it's just so fun. I've absolutely loved it. I was very impressed when you sent me over your bio. I mean, I know you as a woman and a friend and I know a little bit about your history, but you know, when you sent it over to me and I started to read that you were in field marketing and then the regional marketing director. And I have little notes here because, oh my gosh, I cannot remember all of the amazing facts that you, you listed, but you said you were the regional marketing director leading a regional marketing team across nine states where they assisted franchises, advertising and public relation agencies in developing and executing locally relevant marketing plans. These plans included consumer research, media planning, and buying creative execution imprint, radio, TV, and emerging digital and promotional business analysis. Cheryl was able to build her region success over many years, servicing up to 200 franchisee, franchisees and 500 restaurants, growing to total over, I love numbers, 90 million in sales. I mean, that's impressive. <laughs> Definitely it was a job-opening experience for me, for sure, to read that. Um, explain a little bit about how you did accomplish that and how you felt accomplishing those types of goals. Well, the interesting thing uh, that I found out as I started working with McDonald's is you're working with a lot of different team members. You're really working a business plan and marketing is part of that business plan. So operations, real estate development, finance, all of those disciplines come together and um, you really have to start with your business plan. What is it you're trying to accomplish to build the brand? And what are you trying to accomplish to build profitability, to build sales as part of that equation? So um, that was an aha moment for me coming from relatively smaller um, companies into a larger company where you really, really got to understand more than just the marketing function. And that's what really jazzed me to stay in marketing uh, because you really had to understand the total business. I completely agree. And I have taught beauty pros that for years is that it's not, you can't just go out and pay for Facebook ads. If you don't know what your mission is and you don't know your financial situation and you don't know where you're going or your brand messaging or who your ideal market is, because I get a lot of people that will come to me and go, what do you think about me just running Facebook ads? And it's kind of like throwing gel at the wall and with, you know, no real aim and just hoping that something sticks because if you don't, incorporate the entire plan. I feel like you're just setting yourself up for, for failure. So that's the one thing that, you know, getting to know you better, Cheryl, um, was really like aha moment for me was when you would talk about marketing with McDonald's on this huge grand scale, but really it just didn't seem much different than what beauty professionals do, whether they own a salon, lease their own chair, trying to market their business to grow their sales or to get more clients in the door. Um, and I think as a hairstylist of 20 plus years, for me, um, I would look at McDonald's as something that they just go and it's easy. You make a hamburger and you go and just sell it and everybody buys it because everybody loves Ronald and the Golden Arches. So they don't even have to put any effort in. So that's one reason why I invited you today for our, to share with our audience kind of the difference between um, you know, marketing on a small level to a big level, there really is just not a lot of difference with, you know, whether you're making $900 extra a month or 900 million, whatever, and the huge scale, there's not a lot of a difference between the marketing plans. So um, I also read another awesome fact about you. You are the divisional 
marketing officer working on strategic business plans, developing regional marketing teams, and overseeing one-third of the U.S. region's marketing plans while interfacing with the national marketing team to impact national plans. Cheryl serviced over 4,400 restaurants and 700 franchises franchises and help to grow division sales by three to five percent every year yielding a total of over 10 billion in sales <laughs> always fun always fun but you hit on a really key point uh people look at mcdonald's and they see this huge brand mm -hmm. but really the way we would view it is you start it's multi-dimensional and multi-layered marketing, and I had the pleasure of working at all those levels. So it really starts with the individual restaurant, which I would liken to a salon. You need to understand the consumers in your area, who you have the potential to service, how do you reach those people in your specific trading area, and those are things I did for several years. And then you move up to the bigger, broader um, television, DMA-based kind of marketing activity where people come together, franchisees in our case came together, hired an agency, and we worked very closely with them. What's your business plans? What are What is the national plan? And how do we leverage what we have locally? So it might have been sports tie-ins that were very relevant in the marketplace. It might have been issues in the marketplace that were relevant, such as working with education. Um, and then you move into the national level and you're really the umbrella. Um, and because menu consistency, product consistency was very important for McDonald's, um, the national plan became that consistent anchor of driving the brand. But at all levels, restaurant level and the market level, you had to all align. And that was always a challenge because we had over 14,000 restaurants in the United States alone. So, um, Big, broad, but you can bring it right down and the principles are exactly the same, whether it's one restaurant, multi-units, or national. I love that you shared that because you talked about each individual store and how you had to market to the community where the store was. It wasn't just McDonald's in every area did the same type of business or maybe offered the same type of marketing plan or maybe even train their employees just to, you know, communicate a little bit differently with the local people that were coming into each restaurant. Explain a little bit about how would you market like a specific restaurant in a certain area? Well, the first thing we would start doing is research on what is your trading area. In the case of McDonald's, it tended to be about three miles around each restaurant. So we would look at the census data um, and stay up to date of how the community was changing. We would look for what we called traffic generators. Um, homework and shopping were the majority of where our business came came from because it's very impulse. There is some plan, but it is convenience driven. Um, if we had schools in the area, we needed to understand the hours of those schools because you needed to be prepared and staffed when they were in and out. Um, did they have open lunch? Did they not? So you can take those kinds of philosophies and translate those to the salon environment or an individual practitioner very easily, um, knowing who your consumer is and where they are in the area and how far they're willing to come mm -hmm. to visit you as a beauty professional. I would expect your trading areas might be a little larger as you build a clientele, for example. And then we'd start to drill down on how do we reach those 
those individuals. So it could be um, through digital and you can segment down in digital programs. It could be through marriage mail. You can bring that down. You don't have to buy the whole city's newspaper. It could be through editorial coverage of key publications in the community and, and making news with them. It could be your salon anniversary, your grand opening. We did the same thing with our restaurants. Uh, we also would cross-promote with other businesses if we felt their brand image was in sync with ours. So how do we leverage each other in the community to build even more business? And then, interesting enough, I remember when my daughter was in high school, the salon I happened to go to back in Chicago was very close to the school. My goodness, I was so impressed with how involved they were with that high school because they were at every single event where there, were, um, there was a purpose and an opportunity to get to know those students and their parents as potential clients. So for example, one year they, every year they had a spring fling and they invited services from the community in, and then they would do haircuts, makeup, et cetera, and be able to promote their business. So, I mean, that's a very small piece, but I tell you, it has huge ramifications, especially for salons, because once you're hooked on a salon, that's where you go. Yeah, definitely. And I love how you touched on the piece and you said we researched the area. And I yes. feel like that's a huge missing piece in marketing where people have a business or they have a brand and they just want to go out there and put out a street sign and expect people to come in the door. And that's really not how it works. And I've spent years, I mean, of my time researching, graphing, putting documents together in Google Drive to do the research I needed to figure out what were my next steps because just placing a sign on the curb doesn't get people in the door. So how do you get to those events? How do you get into those events? How do you solve the pain problems and the pain points that people in the community around your business are struggling with, right? So how do you get the, the kids to the dances with their hair done or their makeup done and how do you market and you know just the right amount of time before the dance comes so that you can get them in the door before and um networking and then it's not any different when you bring it to digital marketing right so you can do like local in-person marketing and then you can do the digital marketing but it's the same type of thing you have to research where's your ideal who's your ideal clients and where are they online and get in front of them um i love that research piece because I feel like so many people want to skip that and then they get really frustrated with their marketing plan because they really didn't have a plan. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I think some of the things too, every community has events. Yeah. So being tied in, if you're a salon to your chamber, you get out ahead of those and you can select those that you know are going to reach your target and how you want to be involved with those or even uh, editorial um, website advertising. Um, a couple of traffic generators that were very relevant for us were, you know, major churches in the area. Mm -hmm. You can very easily work with them on events and also, you know, very minimal, if you will, sorts of editorial coverage within their programs. And um, these are things that you might not always think about, but my goodness, if you just think about your client base and what's relevant to them and their lifestyle, you'll start to hone in on, on places that you can work with. And it's not expensive. Right, right. And then you gather your marketing messaging from all of that research, and then it's really easy 
to start to speak to people that you've researched and know when the events are coming and keep right. up the right times and, you know. Right. Well, another thing that we used to do, and I, I think would be awesome for beauty professionals as well, is we would work with uh, welcome packages in neighborhoods. I mean, those are very community-based. When someone moves in, they're trying to find the services that they need. Um, and I would think beauty professionals, I from yeah. a year ago, were very excited to find you, Teresa. <laughs> And that yeah. was word of mouth, not necessarily, but every welcome packet I got, I went through. I, I wanted to find, um, if you will, the right services that, that my husband and I needed at the time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's a really good idea. So I know you on a personal level, but the audience doesn't. So share a little bit about what it was like being a working mom. You were the breadwinner in your family. Is that yes, correct? I, I became the primary breadwinner when we were married and then I grew into that. Yes. <laughs> and so share with the audience. So what was that like for you? And what were a few of the struggles you had to overcome while you were the working mom in the family? Um, I would just say hats off to all working moms because <laughs> it is not an easy thing to do. That's for sure. <laughs> you know, Teresa. <laughs> It's a balancing act. Mm -hmm. But when someone tells you they have the formula for balance, I'm just here to say there is no one formula for balance. You have to do what works for you and you'll figure it out and for your family. But I was blessed to be married to someone who was in an industry that was changing dramatically. And after we had our son, I mean, we used to we were constantly changing daycares because I was traveling overnight. He was working different shifts. It wasn't working. And we had to sit down as a couple and have a long conversation because our son was our priority. So my husband said, listen, you can go far. I want to open my own business. So why don't I leave what I'm doing, start my own business, and be home at least three days a week so that I'm the anchor parent, I'm the primary parent here. And he was willing to do that, which was fantastic. But you can't leave everything on a spouse. And if you don't happen to have a spouse at the time, that's not legitimate. So a few things I did to try and help out more is I would work flexible hours. So if I were in town, I would go to work later, maybe nine o'clock, so I could help get the kids off to school. But I might work till seven or eight at night if I had something I had to get done. And for me, that worked because the office shut down and I had peace and quiet and could just focus yeah. and home and not have to be the working mom anymore um, and help put the kids to bed. So those were things I did. Something else I made a real effort at was to make sure my spouse met the people I worked with. Uh, McDonald's was very much a social company. So I would make sure if we were going out after work, I'd call my husband to come join us so that he got to know everybody and he was comfortable. And then when we held events, be it with Ronald or grand opening, I would bring my kids. Even though I was working, I would bring them so they could see what I did. And they felt a, um, at least some acknowledgement of, oh gosh, now I understand when she's not home what she's doing. And they had fun. Right. Uh, I call it work-life integration. Absolutely. There's no such thing as work-life balance. I feel like if you try to strive for that, you just set yourself up for failure consistently 
and you start to feel like everybody else can balance their work and life, but it really doesn't work like that. And I just surrendered to the fact that it's called work-life integration. You have to integrate your kids. And sometimes integrating the kids is sitting down and they're helping me, you know, type things out or build things on Canva or we're doing a project together or they're scanning documents for me and I make a fun game out of it. And so yes, mom is working, but we're also having fun time and you know, fun times together at the same time. And then when I get to experience some type of reward in my business, I obviously share the win with the family and then they feel the reward too, because you know, they have to sacrifice as well to support you and your career being gone and maybe traveling with, you know, McDonald's and, and me too. So it's just become for me, like work life integration and the whole family, we all kind of do it together. That's a, that's a great way um, to say it. And it was almost a relief for me when I finally, cause I had some great female mentors. Um, they were lean back then, <laughs> but I had them. And I also had great male mentors. I had a boss who was such a family man. Um, and a couple of the things that they shared with me is there, you know, there is no such thing as balancing it. You just figure out what works for you and I will support you. And if it's not working, ask other mothers what they're doing. Because just the smallest things like bringing your kids into some of the projects you do for work makes a big difference. In my case, for my children and their young adults now, they often remember when I had to go to conventions or you know, in your case, it might be a trade show, I would bring the family with, and we turned it into a vacation. Now, I wasn't there for all of the vacation part of right. it, but they had a blast. So instead of mom being gone for a week straight, they saw mom, and they were out doing things with dad. And so that worked really well. And they say to me to this day, we, we got to travel all over the country. And I'm not sure we would have ever been able to do that under other circumstances. So that's something to think about, too. Even if it's a local trade show or a local event that you're attending and you're staying at a hotel, can you bring the kids there? Gosh, kids love nothing more than to play in the pool at night. <laughs> yeah, and you can even find, you know, inexpensive high school babysitters that will come and accompany you on the trip if you don't have a husband that can come with you, and they'll stay in the room and, you know, call her, take the kids to the pool, and you kind of meet up throughout the day. I know I found that has worked for me as well, you know, doing events and stuff, and the kids love to unpack the car when you do expos, bring them down there, and they load up the wagon, and we drag it in, and set stuff up, and they get right. all the pictures and the videos after. So, yeah, that's how I've done it as well. It's worked, it's worked really good, and my kids have a lot of, a lot of good memories because sometimes it is hard to find that one-on-one -on -one time to date your kids, so it just integrate them, and they're learning the skill, I think, as well. So Great. better than just taking them to McDonald's for an ice cream cone. <laughs> <laughs> you too. That's wonderful. So, Cheryl, you have an amazing philosophy. Would you share that with our audience today? Well, as I mentioned earlier, the business plan is the business plan, but it all comes down to whether you're given a haircut or you're keeping a restaurant clean. And my philosophy is, um, there's a quote that I grew up with in McDonald's that I so admired, and it's, those who are too big to do small things are too small to do big things. And what that means is our founder, Ray Kroc, on many occasions, people would say, well, would you clean a toilet? And he said, why wouldn't I? That's my business. So when you're working with customers day in, day out, and you're, you touch their lives, 
Absolutely. My philosophy is bottoms up, not tops down. So that's where it all starts. That's where a marketing plan starts. That's where understanding what you need to do to build your brand starts. And that's always been my philosophy. And I have always appreciated the fact that I was able to start working with individual restaurants and marketing of those restaurants and really understanding what it took to run those restaurants. Because here's the other thing you'll find, whether you're working in a salon or on your own, or working in marketing in McDonald's, you come up with all these great promotional ideas and tie-ins. But if you don't involve working with the folks at the front counter, it might be the receptionist um, at the salon. In our case, it's the crew people in the front. And you don't communicate what's happening. You're putting them in a really tough position of lack of knowledge. Um, and then also just execution. So you know, one of the struggles we used to have is getting the right merchandising up for a new product or for (laughs) uh, sales incentive to sell more product. Uh, So we, part of our, a pivotal part of our marketing plan was figuring out how do we involve and motivate and communicate uh, with the management and the restaurants and give them the tools so that they could really engage all of their employees as well. And that's a constant battle when you're trying to run the business. And in McDonald's case, it's a very fast paced, complicated business, even though it looks very simple on the surface. And I'm sure the same is true in any kind of salon environment. So my philosophy is it starts with the customer and it starts with making sure the people that you employ Um, totally understand what you're trying to accomplish and that you make it as easy as possible for them to execute. Yeah, I love that. So if you had one piece of advice you could share with our audience today, what would that one piece of advice be if they could walk away with something from today's um, episode? The one thing I would say is really know your customer. And not just the person in your chair, the person that came into our restaurants, who are they and how do I identify who they are? And then how do I really find the potential for my business? So it takes a little more to know your customer. And you talked about it earlier, research, Mm -hmm. Um, really finding out not only when you have products or services that you're marketing, who is the target market, but who also is your potential market right there in your own trading area. That is amazing. And I feel like that is so important because that ideal customer that I, we call it the ideal customer avatar that changes, like it changes frequently. So you can do a lot of research, find who out, find out who it is. And then six months later, it kind of has transitioned into something else. So you have to do research again and figure out like, who are we marketing? Or maybe it's a specific product that you need to kind of change because now it's a new, you know, ICA, but definitely doing that research never, that never gets old. And I keep preaching it over and over and over. Overlook it. So that's the best piece of advice I could offer too. I love it. That's so great. Even to know that McDonald's does that because I wouldn't have ever thought Nope, just they make a burger and everybody buys it. (laughs) Well, and I think that um, when you're in a smaller trading area and let's say you have a retail establishment like a salon, the area around you changes. People move in and they move out. Um, The demographics change. And you're exactly right. You can't just one and done this. You need to really 
stay ahead of that, stay ahead of the trends that appeal to those individuals um, in your marketplace to really be able to constantly shift and pivot your marketing plan accordingly. Yeah, and you couldn't have said that at a better time with the way our world is and the huge shift that we've had in the economy. Um, even if you do have an ideal client avatar that you researched three months ago, their pain points could be something totally different now going into fall and winter. And so just researching, you know, who is the ideal client avatar? Where are they? What are their pain points? What solutions and transformations are you offering with the product that you're, you're marketing, you know? So it's just, it's kind of a never ending graph, Google document, whatever you guys decide to put it in, it should never be ending. It's always evolving. And then it's fun to kind of go back and look how you started and, how has that I, I, ICA kind of transformed? And also, by knowing that information transforms your bank account. <laughs> oh, totally. We used to talk about there's three dynamics. Here's another tip. How do I appeal to a customer? How do my products appeal to those customers? Particularly when you have several different services or products, they're not all going to appeal to the same consumer. So it's really multidimensional marketing that you have to do. And then how do you measure whether it's working or not? Because you don't want to spend your time and your money if it's not working. So you have to go back and kind of figure out why it is and why it's not. In our case, we would do research but in, even if you don't have that kind of money, it's not a problem. You know, if you put something out there and it is not meeting the goals that you set ahead of time, yikes, it's time to look at what I'm doing and what may not be working or ask your consumer. Right, right. And you know, that's time, but to some people time is money, but time is really not costing you a lot if you do your research. Yep. You, know, you don't have to go spend money on everybody jumps to Facebook ads. You don't have to go spend money on ads right away. If you you're wasting money, if you're doing that, if you can't prove that you can do it without spending any money, just a little bit of an investment of your time and create hype around that um, specific product or, you know, service that you're trying to market. So definitely that research is, Oh, so important. And you're right. It's like <laughs> so in depth too. It can get so intricate, especially when you're trying to track it and, and test and pivot and making sure you can go back and look to see what's working, what's not is just completely vital. I, I definitely say that. And I say even, I don't know if you guys did much of this in, in McDonald's, but before you go and manufacture the product or you release it or you're creating a course or you're specializing in a service, before you want to take that money and that time to invest in there, see if you can create hype around the idea mm -hmm. of a course or the idea of, I say a new hamburger, but <laughs> a new product line, right? So if you create hype in a specific area or a local community, then maybe you don't want to invest your money and your time into learning a new skill or a trade or creating a course or manufacturing millions of dollars worth of product that you can't sell. So I always talk about pre-selling things or, you know, I call it getting the hype built up around product. That goes all um, research. <laughs> yeah, and I think the one thing you should think about too, particularly if you're selling um, retail beauty products, as an example, with yeah. salon, is use your partners. We used Coca-Cola a lot because they would do research. They knew who they were targeting. They knew who wanted to buy the product, and just get that detail underneath, and then look at the consumer in your training area. Is there a match? 
So look at your partners, not only for the cooperative money that they'll bring to the table or the merchandising they may bring to the table, but also for the research underneath why they developed certain products. In McDonald's case, we could use our chicken suppliers, our beef suppliers. Um, we would use our beverage suppliers and we'd bring them in as we were developing menu products and say, explain to us what you know about your user, your consumer. And then we could meld um, that knowledge together because they're the experts on their products. So take advantage of that. That is, you know, I would have never even thought about that, but that's really important information for sure. I think as beauty professionals, we generate a lot of revenue off of retail products, but so many of us have kind of drifted away. But I feel like that was kind of an aha moment for me as well. Um, we don't do the research. We'll go out and say, I want to create, or I want to start to sell Aveda, or I want to start to sell Bumble and Bumble, but we don't really know how many other people are in our area selling that exact same product. We don't know if it's at a price point that our clients would truly pay for it. So it, you know, maybe surveying your current clientele and asking them, would you be willing to pay for this product? Do you like these types of smells? Would you like a product that lasted you three months or would you like a product that lasted you six months? Like, you know, how often do you change out your hairspray? How often do you want new? So doing that goes back to research and surveys. Um, and to me that costs no money, but a little bit of time. And you know, for me, like in my career, I was really booked with clients. So research seemed very overwhelming. So what I had to do was a lot, a few hours on a Monday and a Wednesday, I wrote it into my um, appointment calendar and I would sit down and do research or marketing for my business. And so that goes along with like working on your business versus working in the business, you know? Right. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. I um, believe we even helped our restaurant managers who were operations experts. We would talk to them about what do you not, what do you know about your customers? Okay. Now what's missing in that knowledge and how can we help you go after finding that? And it could be surveying your existing customers very easily. In the world of digital and social media, it becomes even more easy. It's right. just trying to get them, uh, engaged. Mm -hmm. That's the most mm -hmm. difficult thing because so much is coming at you all the time. But even in your own chair, um, yeah. asking for that favor. Um, and I have a daughter who works uh, a business and she'll ask her clients to find other clients or get information from other clients about what their, or their friends and family, what would you be looking for and feed that back to her. So there are creative ways and you you hit the nail on the head. If I own my own business, I would have to create mental space and time to work that business plan. Um, Become your own marketing team, kind of like McDonald's. They hired you. You weren't working the cash register and the drive-through. You were the marketing team. And so many of us on the smaller scale, we don't have a marketing team, but that's why we need to take time to become our own advocates for marketing and Absolutely. work outside to kind of develop that marketing Absolutely. mindset. Or also take, take time and multitask a little bit. So if you're a runner or a hiker out here in Phoenix, <laughs> you know what? I do this 30 minutes a day, five days a week. Maybe I take two of those hikes and it's my mental time. And I'm going to think, I'm just going to give it some thought and reflect on how, I'm, how I am performing against my goals. And then when you get back in the office, you've already got the stimulus going. Um, so it can be done. It just takes dedicated time. 
Yeah, definitely. Well, I think we've provided them with a lot of value on <laughs> the one tip that they need to do. And it comes down to research and really like getting those surveys out there and, you know, polling people, asking tons of questions and then formulating your strategic marketing plan of how you should invest your, your time and money. Um, so you can grow your business to the scale that McDonald's has. <laughs> create your own we can only hope (laughs) right that's kind of everybody's dream goal for sure and then you can hire a marketing team and sit back and run the whole show for sure they'll get your answer (laughs) i'm not gonna keep you much longer is there anything else you'd like to share with the audience that we didn't cover today that you think would be no i just um admire your industry because I'm a user of your industry <laughs> and it, I will tell you for women on the go, such as myself, finding a salon and a beauty professional you can count on is probably the biggest stress reliever in my life. <laughs> I remember I had the same hairstylist for 15 years in Minneapolis. And when I went to Chicago, I didn't know what to do. And you know, hair and beauty is so important to women. So I think all beauty professionals because you're a biggest part of our lives. And this has been a great deal of fun, Teresa. Um, I hope that it's been beneficial for everybody and I'll see you soon when I need another service. I think it has. Yes, definitely. It was so great having you on the show today, Cheryl. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Elevate Your Beauty Biz podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would like comment and subscribe and leave a comment below how Elevate Your Beauty Biz has brought value to your life. Let's stay connected. Follow me on Instagram at Teresa L. Young or Beauty Course Creations so I can keep you up to date with what's new and upcoming. Remember guys, like, comment, and subscribe and I'll see you at the top.